Hello and welcome to Josh Coleman's podcast, a place to have inspired conversation with interesting people. Hey everyone, my heart starts to flutter a little bit when I think about introducing this week's guest. Ray Gabriel is a close friend of mine, someone who's been an incredible support, and someone who I feel has a lot to share with the world based on her lived experiences. She has a background as a Jungian psychotherapist, does tarot card readings, and uh, Reiki healing. I'm really just, again, I don't want to say too much more, just please enjoy this woman's wisdom. So I'm here with Ray Gabriel, and just so stoked to do this interview. Just as we get started, I asked, are you feeling nervous before we started? And Ray was about to say something that I think is super important for us all to hear. So would you mention what we were just about to say? Well, even though I'm very comfortable leading workshops and doing trainings and speaking publicly, um, yes, talking about myself is a totally different thing. Because when you've lived your life, it's just an ordinary life. And so one immediately thinks, or I immediately think, well, why would this be interesting to someone else? So that's what I'm... And, and the reason that I wanted to say that on record is because I think everybody feels that way, you know? And yet I think we all have something really special to share. I know I feel that way. When people try to get me to write a bio about my life, I go, oh, jeez, I don't <laughs> want to do that. <laughs> so it's pretty... I think it's a really classic thing. And the reason to say it on record is just that people can realize, oh, we all feel that way, and then we can step forward and do it anyway. <laughs> yes. So... Ray, I'd love you to tell the audience about who you are and what you've experienced in your life. Maybe even if you wanted to lay your age down, that might work if you're interested. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm not quite 75 yet, <laughs> so um, just heading in that direction. Um, and, and I am having such an exciting time in my life right now. If anyone had have told me um, that, you know, that I would be having so much fun and making some money, and I don't know whether I should bring this up, but I'm making $60 an hour reading the tarot, which I love. Tarot is one of my passions. Yes, it is. And to be making $60 an hour doing something you love... Um, is just unbelievable. But also, it's allowing me to um, do something that results in benefiting others. That um, I'll just kind of go back to this, the 70s, um, the years, the 70s, where I first became acquainted with the tarot. And I was at UCLA and I was studying psychology and they had a very large um, Jungian, uh, the Carl, Carl, Young. e yeah. Carl Jung's work um, was a, a big segment of the courses they offered in their psychology program. And so one semester, the only thing that they had with Jung's name on it was Jung and the tarot. 
I wasn't at all interested in the tarot, but uh, it was the only course offered, and so I took it. And and I have been working with it ever since. I worked with it when I was a um, psychotherapist in Vancouver, um, where I had a practice for many years. I used it as a therapeutic tool. And now um, I'm using it in a way that still helps people in understanding themselves or women or or men because I am actually having quite a few men um, have readings who are looking for some kind of guidance um, on an emotional, a spiritual, a psychological, a physical level. And So I just want to say that I've received readings from you before and a lot of my closest friends have received reading from you and I've never heard a person come away without having deeper knowledge of themselves, deeper knowledge of the issues that they're working with, and also a lot of direction as to how to move forward. So I know that you do good work. Two things came up. Um, first of all, how was that received in the 70s when you were doing uh, tarot at your psychotherapy? How did that get received on a bigger level? Well, it was the 80s and the 90s where I was in practice um, and um, I was asked, well, I received a letter from the College of Psychology um, saying, um, you have a choice. You can cease and desist in using the tarot in your practice, or um, you can resign from the College of Psychology, but I was well enough established that that wasn't an issue, and so... Um, and so you, like the rebel you have always been, <laughs> kept on doing the thing that you knew would help people, help regardless people. of the, the structure. Structure, yeah. and and that, that has always been the way that I have worked in my um, therapy. I was very fortunate uh, in the 70s to be in California and to go to a place called Esalen. Mm. And Esalen still exists, but in the 70s it was quite hippy-dippy, um, but it was exploring all kinds of um, alternative therapies physical healing, emotional healing, um, psychological growth, um, many people who were involved in the human potential movement that came out of uh, California in the 70s um, were involved, Carl Rogers and Joseph Campbell and Fritz Perl. I, I mean, I was just blessed that I was able to study with some of these people that, that just changed my whole way of looking at the world and um and i know that you carry that into your practice still and it's still having that same effect the same effect that you're saying that those people had on you you're having on others still and it i almost makes me want to cry a bit because you know we've connected very deeply over the last few years and um and you've, you just provide something that's very very lovely to everyone that is around you the second question from what you originally had said is that um, at first it, it kind of made, maybe seemed like you were saying that not a lot of men used to do this with you, but now they are. Yes. What do you think that is? Well, um, I think 
I think there is a general shift and and I have to say there's a clear general shift with the young men um you know your age and and younger um a major shift in their consciousness but um the other day I had a man in his 70s come in for a reading I've had businessmen come in for readings um doctors um it's it's really amazing how that shift in jungian terms it it would be that the the men no matter what their age are starting to get in touch with some of the the feminine principle um and that that's resulting them to them opening more to to things like this and just to give a little a little insight into my own personal story i didn't grow up with that openness that was something that had to be cultivated that was something i had to interrogate to the ma- uh, toxic masculine tendencies inside myself i had to start integrating that feminine and it was a process it was not necessarily easy my hope is that when people start to come through that so many people have gone through that process that it's easier and easier for the people who come through next because um it was disastrous at times, if you know what I mean. And and I would say that most people who go through a healing crisis and end up breaking themselves open in order to allow that receptivity and that feminine energy, it's probably not a, a nice process, but now so many people are doing that process. I work with so many people who are doing that process all the time um, that I have a really strong confidence that it's going to be that, that men are definitely in touch with themselves. So. And then men and women together will learn how to heal together and work together in a way that was, is not as polarized as it's been. Yes, yeah. yes. And and that is is and always has been um, part of, as you know, in the 80s I was a radical raving feminist and um, I worked in an organization that dealt with wife abuse. Um, and when the laws changed so that the police had to intervene, um, there had to be something available other than going to jail for men who were charged. And I worked with um, the two men, profs from UBC, who developed the program for men and, um, and was kind of the liaison between the two the two organizations and and I was very impressed with uh, the quality of work and the accountability that they demanded so um, so and you've had your hand in helping this change for an awful long time then love yes <laughs> yes um, I also when I first started practicing um, was considered a gay friendly um, a therapist. So that was back at a time where being gay was seen as deviant behavior. And if you came to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, it was to get, quote, fixed. Um, and so I had a large um, component of my um, my practice was with gay men because perhaps because of 
the stigma at that time because of the treatment by society, the, the difficulty of coming out, um, they were more likely to be looking for mm-hmm. answers, looking for ways of coping um, with their emotions. And, um, and I feel really blessed to have worked with, uh, I love gay men. I just mm-hmm. love gay men. Um, well, it's interesting, okay. again, as you're saying this, my heart is just kind of pouring and I feel a little bit emotional thinking about that being a completely different reality. I realize there's still prejudice and bigotry today. Yes. Um, but the, I would think that the general population has shifted into an openness and perception that um, now that Christianity has kind of taken a back seat and all of those fundamental sort of religious things are starting to, to, to fluff off, there's yeah. so much more openness, but it took people like you, you know, it took people like you who, against the flow, against the norm, against the, um, the societal bounds, you had to say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do tarot, and I'm going to do it for whoever needs actual help, and I'm not going to discriminate based on, based on people's sexual preferences or anything else, and I think that's a very brave thing that you've done, and, and you just watch today. These, the seeds that you guys planted, the seeds that you women planted, the seeds that everyone has planted up until now is what has made this happen, which gives me hope for the future because we're planting some new seeds right now. Yes. And you and I are planting some seeds that we've talked about very consciously, but there are many people planting many yeah. seeds. And the garden that's going to come from that in 20 or 30 years, I'm hoping, is a whole different thing. <laughs> and, and for me, that is one of the things that really excites me because, and, and that I would like to, to pass on, is I know what a difference a few people committed and focused on making a change, how it can alter. Um, the women's movement in Vancouver changed the policies and laws around wife abuse. Um, it changed the policies and the way that police and RCMP dealt with wife abuse in that province. I'm looking at what's happening here right now because a friend of mine who lives in the complex um, her daughter is dealing with um, a domestic abuse issue and the treatment that she has received by victim services just makes me want to tear somebody's face off. Okay. It's, it's still... Um, so, so, but anyone who is working towards changing any issue, any area, know that a few people who come together and are focused can can make a big, a huge difference. Absolutely, but I, I, I can feel what you're saying, though, that the system here is not caught up to, even where it was in Vancouver, you're saying 40 or 50 years ago. Um, what... <sighs> Do you want to talk about that anymore? What what needs to happen here? Well, <laughs> um, it, that's an interesting question because I was I was thinking about that um, the other day and and thinking about n- not being in a relationship and um, and thinking well. One thing, um, if you look on the dating um, apps or whatever they are, um, women, men in their 
late 60s and their 70s are looking for a woman who's 36. Um, so, you know, you're just totally not uh, in the ball game. And the other thing is, um, I left Nova Scotia in 65 or 64, 64, 65, I left Nova Scotia. Um, and one of my things from early childhood was I'm never going to marry a man where I have to be totally dependent, where I have to beg for every penny, where I have to da-da-da. Uh, I think I was a feminist uh, at three years old. Um, I came back in 2000, and many in my age bracket hadn't changed one iota. Mm -hmm. um, but what I am seeing, I mean, I have a nephew and a niece. Both of them have three-year-olds. And I am amazed at my nephew um, and my niece's husband because they their relationship to those children are is just I had never I mean I grew up in a large family I had never ever seen my father hold any of us any of the children never to see to see my niece's husband bathing the baby and you know he's he's bare chested and he's holding that baby against just brought tears to my eyes. I mean, I'm just, I'm so amazed at what is happening. I'm so sorry that um, your whole generation and the world had to be so repressed and so broken and so um, under feminine, as you said, without the feminine principle for so long, you know, like that's really sad. And at the same time, as you said, hopeful that things are shifting. That, yeah. yeah, yes. Um, and that's what I'm seeing with people like you and Grant and other young men that I met around the center. Um, just so impressed. All right. So just to give a little background, uh, me and some friends opened up a center that was kind of a eclectic space because we did meditation and yoga, but we also had dance parties and music and art uh, gatherings and stuff. We really did a lot of stuff. When we first opened that place, uh, honestly, trying to figure out what, what direction are we even going to go, it was all very spontaneous as we opened it, you came very quickly. I think you were one of the, within the first month, you were one of the people that really came and really contributed, and the type of support that you threw behind us really, really helped. It really helped us feel secure in what we were doing. Um, you always talk about how much we helped you when we, when we talk personally, but I honestly, the, that was more than a little reciprocal. It's when, when uh, I'm going to say somebody who's considered an elder, in other words, a person who has experience and has lived life, comes and gives that kind of support behind you, it just makes you want to do better. It makes you want to figure out um, innovative ways to, uh, to bring uh, new realities. And because you're a person who is an innovator and who brings those new realities, it's just always been super helpful. So our connection has always been really valuable to me on many, many levels. Oh, well, thank you. I I just loved being there. I used to call it, when I talked to other people about the center, I used to call it Esalen East mm. because it so reminded me of the kind of innovative work that they were doing back in the 70s. Um, not that the... It, 
I mean, your work had progressed with the times, but but the feeling about the place and that energy. Yeah, and of course, we certainly had our issues. You you were there a few times when relationships had troubles, but it, though that was the fun in a weird way. That was the cool part because but, we didn't take it as a final a final ending. The whole thing was a process, and and you know, just the fact that you were there for that process just makes me so happy. And and that's what's <clears throat> so exciting about. What you young people are doing is is that you're seeing that there can be conflict. In fact, when I worked with couples, you know, if they said, you know, well, I don't know what's wrong. Everything was going fine. Now she wants a divorce. It's like, so when's the last time you had a fight? Oh, we never fight. Then someone's lying. <laughs> uh, you know, we relationship isn't about someone getting their own way all the time and uh, the other person just kind of accommodating. It's about that coming to a point where, okay, I know this is a need you have, but I too have needs. How can we come to a place where, where we mesh those needs and we both are able to win? Yeah, well, look, I... I think that that would be a wonderful thing for us all to learn right now, and I've had my own struggles in relationships too, but I, I, think, I think that that, exactly what you just said, how can we win-win yeah. in all relationships, not just men and women, of course, in all different genders, and all non-binary, all of the human beings relating to each other, how do we win-win? I think that would be one of the nicest um, sort of progressive understandings for us to start to catalyze. This may lead us into a story okay. about win-winning. Yes. <laughs> um, yes, so when you first came to me about um, doing an interview, there had been a series of events that I, the result of which I was really excited about. And so I said, well, can I talk about that? And you said, yes. So um, I live in... Spryfield, which has kind of a reputation for being an underprivileged area. And there are um, there are certainly people who are living in this area who are living well below the poverty line. And, and I came... Um, to live here because a friend was managing the building and I've been allowed to have a garden so uh, even though I could have moved and, and chosen the fact that I can walk out that patio door into my garden is one of my joys in life um, and I learned very early in fact, when the first fall when I was planting bulbs, I realized that um, it was necessary for me to make friends with the children in the courtyard. We live, it's a kind of U-shaped courtyard. It's an incredible spot because you have trees just beyond my window there that are four stories high. They're, it's, you know, fairly old. I took a peek out there and I thought, oh my goodness, it does look like the Garden of Eden. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's incredible. Um, and be, 
I'm on the ground floor patio and all of the apartments on the ground floor have patios and, and access to the courtyard. So it's great for kids. It's great for kids. Um, so I worked at developing relationship with the kids and that has been so fulfilling. Um, I never was fortunate enough to have children uh, in my own life, so um, contact with children has been minimal. And so suddenly in my elder years, I, I'm having these relationships with children. And, and over the past eight or ten years, um, it, this is very... Um, the children come and go. The people transient. Transient, yes. Um, and so, but every every summer, I would have five, six kids who wanted to plant things, and so I would give them little plots of ground, and and you know, some of them were interested in planting beans, and some potatoes, and some flowers, and you know, so whatever they wanted to grow, I would you know, get some seeds and they would plant them in. And an incredible help also for me. They loved watering. They loved dig. Love Boys love digging holes. I don't know what it is, but, you know, give them a shovel and they'll dig a hole from here to China. Um, so it's been, it's been a wonderful experience for me this relationship with the children. In fact, every year um, the children plant. There's, there's at least a dozen trees, little pine trees, little spruce trees, little fir trees that I go um, and get by a river bank in the spring where everything is getting washed out so I'll bring them and where they and the kids, you know, will say, oh that was Darius's tree, that's Cody's tree, that's, you know, some of these kids have been gone for years, but they still remember. So it's it's been an, I love trees. Um, I'm all about the trees and protecting the trees and planting trees. And you're you're a hero of mine because you plant trees every summer. That, that industry is a little bit different than what you're describing, unfortunately. It is still an industry. I know, but you're still planting trees. Um, so, this spring, um, there was a young man who, well, I shouldn't say young man, about nine, eight or nine years old, who had moved into the courtyard. And as things began to sprout, leaves began to leaf out on the trees, things began to He'd come along and pull them off, strip the branches of new, new. Um, now, he he's a he's a very very charismatic kid. All of every, all of the kids, it was just like the Pied Piper. He was the he, leader. He was yeah. the leader, and and um, so. Needless to say, my garden <laughs> suffered uh, because once once he started doing it, then all of the other kids 
started. And so we tried to, I tried talking to them. The, um, the property manager that deals with the, the gardens and the, and the lawns and all the cutting, um, talked to them. He talked to their parents. Then the office got involved, and um, the damage reduced some, but it was still happening. Um, you can't, you know, kids can be very quick, um, or their bicycle can just happen to run right into your <laughs> your garden. Um, and so, I didn't know what to do, but I'm taking a course on psychic and esoteric wisdom and growth. And there was one of the exercises was developing a protection shield. And I mean, I've played around with that idea for years, protecting my car, protecting my apartment, protecting. Um, but this had totally different procedures and so I'm working with it. And I thought, well, it can't hurt to try this with my garden. You know, what have I got to lose? I can write it up in my homework for my homework as an assignment and um, we can see what happens. Now, the difference between anything I'd done in the past and, and the teachings in this program were that instead of just putting up the protective shield that bounce, away, yeah. bounces the energy back, you transform the energy into love and compassion. And so I work with Reiki. Um, we're going, so, to go, we're going to go into that after, after this. Yeah. Um, so that seemed like, oh, yes, absolutely. Um, so I did my protection around the garden, and every morning I would go out and just uh, do a little mantra for the mutual benefit of all and for, for their highest good the energy will return um, with love and compassion and healing. Because I realized that this, this young man must be wounded in some way. There must be some reason for him to need, to feel the need to hurt something else, whether it's a tree or a plant or, you know, the, that, that's, from my experience, the last eight or nine years with all of these children has been so incredible. Their interest, their excitement when they see something, you know, the first year I gave four little boys five tulips. It was amazing. Like, they were there every day once the first little green shoot came up. Like, this young man had to be hurting in some way. 
Um, and so I especially focused on returning love and um, compassion and healing to, to him. And within a short time, the damage stopped. It was kind of gradual, but then uh, I thought, well, maybe they've just kind of lost interest or whatever. Um, and a number of weeks went by, maybe even a month went by. And I came home from work one evening, um, and there were about 10 or 12 kids outside on the walkway in front of my patio. And now that the head guy, <laughs> the instigator wasn't there, but two of his, I call corporals, <laughs> were there. Two, two of his uh, spokespersons. And anyway, they knocked on the door and, and very politely said, could you come out and talk to us, Ray? And I said, yeah. And one of the boys was holding a potted plant. And he said, um, we want to give you this plant for your garden. And we're sorry for the damage that we did. And we're sorry we hurt your feelings. Now, that for me, that, that they had this, now I thought, okay, the parents must have organized this, okay? That the parents must have sort of talked to them and said, you need to do something too. Um, so I thought, okay, but the fact that they said that they were sorry they hurt my feelings. And and all of the kids are nodding, yes, Ray, we're sorry. Um, that speaks to some other thing happening other than parents saying, you need to go and apologize to that old lady. Um, don't you agree? I very much agree. So, um, so I said thank you very much and and some of the kids went off, a couple of them stayed, and we dug a hole. <laughs> as I say, boys love to dig holes, so we dug a hole and we put the plant in. And as we're doing that, one of the little boys said, um, we found this out at the dumpster, out back at the dumpster, and we thought, oh, Ray would love this. So then I realized, no, this wasn't something that the parents had initiated. This is something that had come from those children. And the fact that that they, number one, knew what time I got home from work um, and got together, you know, 10 or 12 kids from, you know, they all live in different buildings and different apartments. And um, I really was... I really was amazed um, and touched by the fact that that was an action that had been initiated 
by these children. And so what that's left me with is the question of how can... I believe, I totally believe that the energy work, because, because I do believe in energy work and the power of energy. So not just belief, but you're practicing. Practicing. You know, this is an experience that you're having. Having. And with Reiki, spend, you know, sending healing energy to people, that's part of, you know, I totally believe that it is possible through energy to... Um, create change. And so for me, there's the personal part of this. And what happened several weeks ago is that I finally made friends. There was a situation in which I finally made friends with this little ringleader. And we are developing a really, really great relationship. Um, So that... That, that for me is just amazing. I can't, I can't even imagine the impact this is going to have on those kids 30 years from now, 20 years from now, 10 years from now, when they're about to do something that is not in their integrity or that might hurt another person. There's going to be this image or this memory imprint from what they had done to you. And maybe they don't even think that way, but it happens subconsciously. And then they go, I would not want to hurt somebody like that. Because they went through the process of grief and and uh, what do you call it uh, repentance, you know, like coming to 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 make right. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, and especially this this ringleader boy. You're saying this must imagine his charisma turned around and used for good. Oh yes, and and that's I mean his charisma. He he's got incredible leadership qualities, um, and the interactions I've been incredibly busy but so the interactions have been sporadic um but it's moved from a place of 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 just you know that kind of snobby snobby snotty uh to to one of Oh, if we do this, what do you think? Do you think it would? You know, it's just, it's, it's totally changed. And the big thing that we spoke about, because you you mentioned this story, and we were talking about what are the larger implications? How could we apply this usage of that love as a transformative um, energy and a transformative intention on other situations in the world right now? And how many people would it take if we were sitting and focusing in that way to start to create these changes um, within the hearts of people? Yes, and and that's where my history with kind of TM kind of converges. That's where my mind kind of comes together because... um, Transcendental meditation. Transcendental meditation. And I don't know if you know the the story about in back in the early 90s, uh, a group of TM meditators went to the mayor of Washington, D.C., okay, and asked if they could see if they could reduce the amount of crime uh, in August. Um, and the mayor said, well, you're more than welcome to try, but unless we have a blizzard. Um, and there's a certain percentage, and and I keep 
meaning to ask the leader of the TM community here um, what that percentage is. But when a percentage of people in a community are meditating regularly, it affects the whole community. And so they wanted to do a kind of documented. Um, the That August, uh, without any blizzards, uh, the crime rate was, was reduced by 28%. Usually it escalates yes. each year as it goes along. So instead of it escalating, it decreased by... Yeah, so for, for people in this world um, who want to see change and they're frustrated with the state of the world and they're frustrated with other human beings and the pain that they're inflicting, I just want to say, um, if, if we were to learn these arts of connecting with something deeper and more aligned and then moving energy psychically and energetically yeah. and helping people in that way, you know, without putting ourselves out, I don't think we need to be martyrs. No. But if situations arise like it has in your life where it's very much a part of your life, you couldn't avoid that if you tried. You know, if you had said, you little shits, and started to fight, you never know what kind of back and forth might happen, but because you took the high road, and the road where you saw the potential in these kids too. The thing is, is when someone wrongs us, it's easy to look at them and think, they have no potential, they're scum, they should disappear. But with the kids, it's a little bit easier, because you know they have yeah. a life ahead of them, you know? Yeah. But I think if we were to apply that general... Um, experience um, to anybody who, especially anyone who demonstrates a desire to grow. I think that that can be something that can be used very much in this world. And when, when that percentage of people globally is doing this all at the same time, I think we can move quite quickly. And as that percentage gets higher and higher, we'll move quicker and quicker into these states of, of healing and of, of helping each other grow and move forward. Yes, and, and that for me is what really, well, the personal side is really meaningful, but also in the terms of making changes on a global level. Um, if you look at the women's movement, it took at least three waves of feminism over a hundred and some years to kind of reach the place that we are now. Um, and we've got further to go, as we all know, too. Yes, uh, but, for example, if we're looking at climate change, we don't have 150 years. Consciousness has to change more quickly. So I'm getting a, off into my uh, environmental <laughs> activism, but I won't uh, stay there very long. But So how could it be used in that kind of situation? How can it be used in the political realm? Not in terms of a tool to manipulate people, but a tool for awakening people to awareness. Back in the 60s and 70s, um, no matter what issue you were interested in, whether it was the draft or whether it was feminism or whether it was peace, consciousness raising was a tool. And so of, of kind of getting people talking and, and becoming aware. And so I'm wondering if this is a, another tool that can be used for consciousness raising. I would sure say it would. 
And Ray, what I'm thinking is, because this is a really wonderful, not going to end quite yet, but I just want to say this is a wonderful place maybe to leave this conversation so that we can have a good amount of conversation for the next two or three of we do. Um, I have one last question that I ask everybody at the end of these podcasts. And the question is, if you could say one message to the world, in other words, you could, you could print it on a screen for everybody to see just once. I know that's a big question, but okay. what would that be? Well, love is the answer. And I often ask people to elaborate, but I think that we've elaborated beforehand as to what exactly that means. So yeah. I want to thank you so much for sitting here with me today, Ray. And for the listeners, there's going to be this is going to be a recurring series because there's a lot to talk about when it comes to environmentalism, when it comes to the path of Reiki, there's a number of things. Um, one final thing though, if people wanted to get a hold of you and they wanted to book a reading or they wanted to interact with you, uh, learn Reiki from you or interact with you in any sense, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, well, I don't know. Um, I what's appropriate well um i know that you work at the neighborhood witch so if you're a haligonian and you wanted to visit ray calling the neighborhood witch does that work to book an appointment they can book an appointment yes um and i also um i also have an email address why don't you say that email and, address and i'll write it down as well but you can put it you can oh, just say it okay loud. my email address is Threads of time at yahoo.com. I happen to know that. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's wonderful. So, so, yeah, I would highly recommend anybody that resonates with Ray's message and that feels that they could learn from this incredibly wise, um, aligned, and helpful person that they do contact you, whether it's for a reading or a healing experience at the Neighborhood Witch, or to contact you personally to see what else you're up to as time goes on. I love you so much. Well, that is mutual. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions for the podcaster today, send an email to question jcp at gmail.com that's q-u-e-s-t-i-o-n jcp at gmail.com 